know what that means? Everything. Anglo Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone so That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of your sporadic Anglo Fees because we're busy. But the MCU has wrapped up its current iteration, so we have some thoughts. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And we're alive! We're alive. Kaylee's very tired. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> she's the busiest of us all. We're very proud. So, Endgame happened, what, three weeks ago? Mm, sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, Endgame Yeah, my happened... birthday. <laughs> Endgame happened three weeks ago. So they killed off Iron Man for Alina's birthday. Oh, spoilers. If you don't know this by now, I really don't know what to tell you. <laughs> the spoiler ban was lifted by the Russos. Can I just say that I hate the fact that we all decided to adhere to this, like, corporate sponsor, like, <laughs> spoiler ban? Like, is that where we are now? Have I not already sold out enough of my shit to Disney? Uh, I didn't even know about no, it until you... people started talking about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just no. going to be honest, I don't give a shit about spoilers. I knew mm -hmm. about the Black Widow stuff going into Endgame because I'd been told about that rumor. But mm -hmm. I like none of the stuff that I in this film to me was especially surprising. I think we all knew what was going to happen with at least half of the Avengers. Sure, it's the journey, not the destination and all that. But I was just so like exhausted with the hot take rhetoric around spoilers because I don't care. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't really bother me until the Game of Thrones episode. Because I with movies and people, you know, you need time to see a movie in theaters. You need to make time to go. So for me, like the first weekend, I personally just don't talk too much. Like I try not to spoil on my Twitter. I don't have a lot of polls, but just for my friends, right? Like give everybody time to go see it. And then in the week two and three, you're kind of like whatever it's been out people are talking about it if you manage to avoid spoilers for like two or three weeks how do you do it give me a secret just so i know how to unplug like you <laughs> <laughs> but with something like a tv show like game of thrones and i you know i saw people yell about like how why would you spoil that and like don't and i'm like communal watch experiences it's like i get that not ever also not everybody has the time to watch live or whatnot but it's different with a tv show it's mm. different because you know, this Twitter communal watch experience, so for example, that we've had with Hannibal, and I think Clea Linda was the one who called it, like, the last communal watch experience we had was Hannibal. But Game of Thrones is kind of like that, too. Like, it's one of the few TV shows that, uh, non-reality TV shows that everybody mm -hmm. watches and everybody's tweeting about it with a hashtag and just, yes, the whole point is to have a live conversation because we're all excited and want to experience it together. Right. I mean, I stay off Twitter for Game of Thrones because I don't want to get distracted, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And now that HBO's 
HBO Go app has finally got its shit together. Because a couple years ago, you couldn't watch on HBO Go until the next day. Until after the West Coast airing. And now it's available on the app at 9 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. Which definitely made things a lot easier. Because I didn't want to wait until midnight to watch it. Uh, especially since I now have physical therapy at 8 a.m. on Mondays. Because I'm old, Kaylee, this is what old is. Yeah. Actual old. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, if you're tweeting, then use the hashtag. I had my ticket for Endgame, like, the day it came out in theaters, as early as I could. The Scrum on Fand- the Fandango app was ridiculous, and we broke it, and I ended up in a not-ideal theater, but whatever. And I you know, managed to avoid spoilers leading up to that, because you know, stuff was leaked and people were talking about things that they knew, and I was like, you know what, I do kind of want to go into this blind, so I'm going to do that. When it came to the Battle of Winterfell, I was like, I want to know who's going to die. I want to know everything. And I couldn't find any legitimate spoilers. <laughs> and I tried so hard. <laughs> it failed me. <laughs> Not really as many people died in that, I think, as people no, thought. No, it was very disappointing. I, I mean, hopes and dreams that. died, but that was a very <laughs> different thing. <laughs> a million viewers have, like, well... I think, like, obviously, the second episode was great, especially in the ninety of Brienne. The Battle of Winterfell, I found, was okay. But as far as I'm concerned, the rest... I'm watching the rest of the season just because I'm going to watch it. But for me, the series ended with, with like, the, the second episode of the season. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, isn't it a shame that Sleepy Hollow only got one season? Like, isn't it a shame the last season of Game of Thrones was only two episodes? Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't even know what to say about the rest of it. It's just bad. I would. I, I don't have any. I don't have a like player in this game because I don't watch Game of Thrones. I would like the ending to be good because my dad likes the show and he already got really burned by Lost and I don't want to ha- to happen to him yeah. again. Yeah. Oh. I mean, this is the thing: is when it is the end of a particular kind of entertainment era and something that, like it says, is kind of the last water cooler TV series is probably the last one we'll ever have because I don't think anything's going to capture that fervor especially in an age where everyone is mostly streaming stuff in their own pace Mm -hmm. so it would be really sad if that kind of ended with two men completely out of their league who just don't have the range not being able to pull it off because women be bitches am i right but you know all my favorite tv shows get cancelled after three seasons so uh you guys got eight yep yeah 25 years for a third season of twin peaks guys i know (laughs) <laughs> I my favorite Twitter take was the joke that somebody made about write as if D and D are going to finish your book if you don't. Right. <sighs> right. I mean, there is George R. Martin is a fucking genius here because he basically got like the ultimate proofreading session. Yeah. If this doesn't work, he's like, oh, that was never how I was going to end it, and then he will never finish it. But the thing yeah. is, I don't I think just... that was how he was going to end it. I I think he's pissed too. Well, I think if it was how he was going to end it, it wasn't going to happen as quickly as it has happened. No. Because his books are 17,000 pages long ago. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And 
I, there was a Twitter thread that I reposted a couple of days ago that was talking about how this is sort of the ultimate compare contrast between pantsers and plotters in that Martin is a consummate pantser and he just sort of he he writes for his characters which is like how you end up with Danny and Maureen forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever and ever because he couldn't figure out an organic way to get her out yep and D once they outpaced him are by necessity plotters they have to get to the end so they're twisting the characters to match the plot and like you can see exactly where that line is for each character and it's in a slightly different place within the the context of the tv show i i think that's an interesting way to look at it but also i think they have a little bit not a little a lot of the jj abrams problem mm-hmm. of getting focused on the next thing before you have finished your current thing in fairness for jj abrams entire approach to storytelling is and you can trade it all in for what's in this box yes and we've seen how that ends because jj abrams is also smart enough to get out of the goddamn room when it comes time to open the box oh, damon yeah. it's turn for you to deal with this problem i'm gonna go make a star wars movie yeah. where all i have to worry about is nostalgia that's a different thing but I, this is thing is also um i think that if Netflix, not Netflix. If HBO had wanted to, they probably could have turned Game of Thrones into a like twi- like Simpsons level number of seasons mm-hmm. to give them the kind of pacing and stuff that they want to do. But in order to do that, you're going to have to start increasing how much you pay these actors. Yeah, mm-hmm. Lena Headey is already making about a million dollars an episode, and all she does is drink wine while looking out of windows. Yep. You know, they, they've long stopped giving. They've, they've let her cry now, but they've long stopped giving Peter Dinklage stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, if you continue doing this, you're going to start making these people the most expensive actors on television, and they would probably have the budget to do that. It may be one of the only shows in the world where they can do that. But, you know, Amelia Clark is, wants to do movies, and Sophie Turner wants to be Mrs. Jonas, and you like, Peter Dinklage wants to make a movie with Mel Gibson, apparently. Like, oh. you know, there's a certain stage where you just want to get out, and instead of bitching about it on Twitter if you're like Constance Wu, uh, you just the show ends. I we're not going to talk about that because I have a lot of feelings on that that could get messy. But the thing is as well, a show like this, the fact that they people didn't get sick of it is kind of surprising. Because mm-hmm. people are stuck with this, are really stuck with it. They didn't really have time to get sick of it, partly because it takes them what three years to make a new season of it, which is also another reason a show like this can't go on as long as they probably mm-hmm. needed it one. Yeah, it takes to make that by the time you get to you know the end of it, Sophie Turner probably would have been in her forties. It also like creates these weird problems where because the it started with child actors and they're aging, you can't obscure the passage of time. Like you have to say in the show that X amount of years have passed. On the other hand, because they had to adhere, they were adhering to the plot of the books, you know, you have characters take weeks and months and eventually you imply years to get from point A to from the north of Westeros to the south of it. Right. And then we're in the finale and it's like, Oh, the army will be here in two days, two days. It's, Westeros is 3,000 miles long. They traveled by map. 
Are you telling me Arya in the Hound wandered Westeros for two? Because like even in the books, I kind of side at, and I'm like, how long are they wandering this content? Like Alina, uh, Alina, magic. <sighs> You don't have to explain it. It's magic. Yeah, there are have... dragons. They don't have to explain anything. Right. We have dragons. Therefore, geography is not a thing. Yeah. And also rampant sexual assault. Because yes. those two things go hand in hand. Yes. Yeah. Also, I mean, the thing is, they probably could have extended this out if they wanted to bring in all the de-aging technology that's been used in things like Avengers and Captain mm-hmm. Marvel. And Scorsese is currently employing for The Irishman, uh, which will be on Netflix this year, hopefully. Uh, that shit is expensive. Mm-hmm. There are legal ramifications that have not entirely been sorted out with technology like that, including ownership of your own face. Right. But also, like like I said, I think a lot of these actors were just done. Like yeah. these people cannot be bothered. Mm-hmm. They have places to be. They have their money to spend. They have the, the thing is, every actor who got killed off on that show early has gone off and kind of done other things. Richard Madden won a Golden Globe for doing Bodyguard, and he's in the new Elton John movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Who else got killed off? Like, remind me. Uh, well, I mean, Sean Bean continues to Sean Bean. Rose uh, Leslie is in the good fight. And, but you know, she married Kit Harrington. She's doing Interesting. Fine. The actress who Her plays Shay. The, the actress who plays Shay, I don't think, got anything out of that. Did she get a career boost out of being in Game of Thrones? I don't know who I she don't is. I think so. I don't think um, so, right? What about. Um, Michelle Fairley ended up in The White Princess. Poor woman. She was in the that French resurrected, the return, uh, I think. What about uh, Pedro Pascal? Right, the, he, he's he played. Well, he is in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Right, so he's That's fine. He, he was, was already like uh, you know. Yeah, I was wondering if he yeah, was already. He was in um, if Beale Street could talk. Right. He had a really good. He had one scene in that, but it was a really good one. Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian. He's going to be the star of the new Star Wars series on okay. Oh, okay. And He's yeah. fine. Indira Varma was already had a career before this, so she's you know she was in Rome and Luther. So honestly, um, can we like in terms of Game of Thrones, the thing that has fascinated me the most is to have that conversation of what HBO was before Game of Thrones. So that gap in between Game of Thrones and The Sopranos, where they are trying to find the thing that clicks. And remember, for the biggest time, the biggest thing that was on HBO was, was True Blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got a lot of flack for their popular thing being like the ultimate trash. And then they came up with something that was both critically and commercially adored. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, they really struggled to find that balance. I mean, Rome was a hit, but it was so expensive, they never made their money no, but back. But that's what I was going to bring up. If if the writer strike hadn't happened, could Rome have held on? You don't think no, so? Because it was no, no, it was, was too expensive. Okay. I mean, that was the thing is after Sopranos, they just start throwing a lot of money in shows like that. And then, you know, Carnival, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, was maybe not as critically adored as Sopranos, but it had its fans. But it was also so expensive. And this was at a time where you needed big numbers. It wasn't like what TV is now, where like having a million viewers a show is really successful because the everyone's attentions are so divided. Mm-hmm. Which sucks because it means I only ever got two seasons of Carnival, which is about my average for how long my favorite shows last. Right. Uh, but then you have, it's just fascinating to look at that era of HBO when it still has absolutely no idea what it really is. It's like, we know that we're prestigious, but what else is our thing? Because uh, I think they thought it was going to be like historical dramas because not only did you have Rome, you had things like Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they thought it could be a True Blood and it was True Blood for a long time. 
there was a lot of like attempts to recapture the sex in the city glow, things like that, that never really worked. And that's fascinating to me. I would love to see more of a study of that because, you know, this is another thing that's happened with Game of Thrones is everyone is so desperately trying to make their own Game of Thrones happen, including HBO, who are going to be doing their own prequel. Of that's Game what of I was wondering. I'm wondering how, do you think the prequel is has a chance to be successful or do you think it's just going to fizzle? What's your prediction? Well, I, I mean, they're they're, they've got, what, three, four spin-off series in development? Because George Martin, for the past few years, has not been writing the main series. He's been writing the prequel, like kind of the encyclopedias. I have them both, and they're the same book, so I'm not sure why he wrote it twice. Are you looking for a more sophisticated answer than for the money? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, they have his Dark Materials coming out later this year. I need it to be good. I really like, you don't understand how much I need this to be good. There were three books. There were three non-Harry Potter book series I was obsessed with as a teenager. Artemis Fowl, mm-hmm. Darren Shan's Vampire's Assistant series, and his Dark Materials. The Vampire's Assistant movie is terrible. Artemis Fowl has been delayed until next year, which is an excellent Oof. sight. Yo. Well done, Kenneth Branagh. And... Golden Compass, we just don't speak of that because that was a war crime of a movie. I need this to be good. Yeah. Even though half the casting doesn't make sense, I'm still here for it. Lin-Manuel Miranda is about 80 years too young to play yep. Lee Scoresby because Sam Elliott was the most perfect piece of casting in the Golden Compass movie. So I guess they've just decided we can't replicate that. really good casting. Yeah, that's the thing. Between Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman played uh, lady, the lady, right? Yeah, yeah. Eva Green was Serafina, right. which was ridiculously perfect. And I remember yeah. I liked the actress who played Lyra, so I don't know how that cast, how that movie, like the casting, we were all so into it. Well, right. basically because it was made by an American uh, studio yeah. who were like, you know, all this stuff about like religion being a scam. Killing you know, God. Maybe we should like, make, you know, literally killing God. Maybe we can like, you know, this story will still work if we cut all that out. Like, right? mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, Kathy Keen is Lyra. Yes. <gasps> oh, that's right. Oh, oh that, that's why I was excited Logan about it. Uh, which, beautiful. But also, like, James McAvoy, I think he's a little too young, but I think I thought Daniel Craig was too young, so uh, that was going to happen. Ruth Wilson, as Mrs. Coulter, is that's, chillingly good. That's, that's brilliant. So I'm excited. I need it to be good, just because those books meant so much to me as a teenager. My, my favourite Philip Pillman was still the Sally Lockhart books. I was watching one of them, actually, on, like, I illegally found it because I just had a craving to watch it. Also, Jared Harris is in it. That's why I watched it. But that's thing. If they nail that, and then we get the rest of his Dark Materials, like, do we get to see the subtle knife of, like, tearing open from dimension to dimension? Do we get to see the weird elephants? which Whose names I can't remember, because I really want to see the elephants do, do with we the get, wheels. Do we get to fade to black of, like, two 13-year-olds having sex? Because maybe Another not. Another 15. That's not, healthy. that's not any better. But, like... The, the, the fact that there is basically like full-on angels in America style mystical like existential battles is so daring and I don't know if it all necessarily I would love to reread the books to say if they like still work for me although I'm almost afraid that they won't because those mm-hmm. books meant so much to me as a teenager but you know what why not do like if you're gonna do this go hard or go home because we saw what happened last time they didn't and it's like we go oh we got a cool polar bill battle but then there was no point to anything mm. it is a hard book like i imagine budget wise it's difficult because of the daemons right because you have to have this 
CGI animal in every scene, and a lot of the times people interact with them, so they have to have somewhere to look. So I, I think it's probably cheaper and easier to do now than it was when the movie, because that kind of technology improves all the time. Well, this is also it's this is we're seeing this a lot with British television in particular. This is a BBC production, but it's being done in conjunction with HBO, mm-hmm. so the budget is being shared. So you're going to get like a proper budget for this thing, and also like if you can't rely on the BBC to adapt a good piece of British literature, who can you rely on? Mm. It's being adapted by Jack Thorne, who is probably best known as the playwright who wrote Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So we can't really blame him for that mess because that wasn't his story. But he's written some really good. He did the stage adaptation of Let the Right One In which I saw when it originally premiered in Dundee. He has written a number of award-winning plays. He's doing a new adaptation of Christmas Carol, I believe, which I've heard is going to be very good. I believe he's working on the new Star Wars movie, actually. He was originally doing the script rewrite for it, and now he's not doing it. But he is going to be doing the Disney Pinocchio movie that we totally need. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, having said that, the Disney Pinocchio is being directed by the guy that makes the Paddington movies. Oh. So, it might not be awful. Right. Right. It right. won't be Paddington, but it might not be awful. The only problem is with his Dark Materials, it's been directed by Tom Hooper, the mm. visionary author who's bringing us cats. <laughs> I, okay, no, like, genuine, genuine story. I, I was with my parents today, and my mom was at an appointment, and so I was waiting with my dad, and we were having coffee. And I was telling him about cats, and he just started going, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe what they should have done. Maybe the demons should have been like actors in makeup <laughs> instead of CGI animals. Nobody's done that before. <laughs> you just shrink them down. No, don't even do that. Yeah. Oh, come on, I am here for cats. It's going to be. Here's the thing: is I think it's going to be a train wreck, but I also think it's going to make so much money. Here's the thing, because there's fun train wrecks that we look forward to, like cats, and then there's Disney's Aladdin, where I can't believe how bad the Prince Ali clip is. You know is. what? Here's the thing. I have a friend who has seen it and really liked it. <sighs> it might not be bad, you guys. <laughs> I, feel like, I, feel like, I feel like Homer Simpson when the pig was flying through the air, where he's like, it's still good, it's still good. Uh, my, my guy, Richie Apologism, is going to like heart. Really bad. That, you know what? Bit. I, I am willing to accept that sometimes marketing and trailers can be just like awful. They'll because I just I do think it's the they keep on say trying to market it like we have Will Smith, so it's not Robin Williams, but the genie's still gonna be good. I'm like you cannot take that clip of Will Smith barely trying in Prince Ali and Aladdin songs are bangers, right? And you juxtapose that against like the cartoon that whole extravagant Prince Ali number. I'm not going to get excited about Will Smith's like half asleep rapping like of that version with that doesn't look like he even had any of the budget in it. Like that's here's the thing. I like Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie should not be making this movie. I heard from someone who was an extra on the movie that he basically directed it by being driven around on a golf cart while screaming at people with a megaphone, which is exactly what I want from him. But also, why is he making a musical? This this is such a like a. This is the thing about Disney live action remakes. They tend to be made by people that they've kind of like, like studio directors, you know, mm-hmm. people who don't necessarily have a personal stamp on the material. But Guy Ritchie has a really distinctive action style as a director that you would want to see more of and would want to give room to breathe. Because the last time he had to make a Hollywood movie was that King Arthur movie, which isn't terrible, but it's not his best. 
when I first heard of that, I thought of that part of, you know, Aladdin actually living on the streets and being a thief. And, you know, it's I that's the part that I could see Guy Ritchie being good at. Right. Like, think about back to the parts of King Arthur like that worked. All, all of the Guy Ritchiness was this kind of street hustler Aladdin. Right. So I wasn't off it like I, I could see it. I'm just not sure. But it's like you said, that's maybe what Guy Ritchie would want to do, but that Disney isn't just going to let him do what he does. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's why I'm sort of surprised he's taken it, which makes me think that he, like, owes Madonna a divorce payment or something, and that's why he had to do it. <laughs> I would love it to be good, because honestly, like, I... A guy which is hardly a beleaguered underdog, but I need things that will eventually grease the wheel of Sherlock Holmes free. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this will do that. Robert Downey Jr. return to the roles I care about you playing and not Dr. Doolittle. Hey, Robert Downey Jr. is making a Dr. Doolittle movie with a $175 million budget. Why? Because he can do anything he wants now, basically, with his Iron Man money. And he's chosen to make a Dr. Doolittle. Not even a musical, by the way, because I thought it was a musical originally. Because I was like, well, that makes sense that he'd want to do a musical because he is a singer. And he hasn't really done a musical before, as far as I know. Unless you count Ally McBeal. But then he's found that it's not a musical. I remember really liking those books as a kid. I don't think I've ever seen a movie of it that... Well, I haven't seen the really the older one. The I know Rex there was... Harrison one? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> one of the great like Hollywood flops of our time. <laughs> so if you've never read the book uh, Pictures of a Revolution, or Scenes from a Revolution if you're in the UK by Mark Harris... It details the five films that were nominated for Best Picture in 1968 at the Oscars, which is The Graduate, Bonnie and Clyde in the Heat of the Night, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Dr. Doolittle. And it's basically this idea that here is the convergence of the old Hollywood making the new and what that meant for the future of the film industry. Dr. Doolittle was wildly over budget. Rex Harrison was a notorious asshole to work with. The film was hugely racist and their attempts to make it less racist didn't help. There were hundreds of live animals that used in set, some of whom died, some of whom started fights. And then there is one moment in the book where the line is, the giraffe stepped on his cock. I wondered when I read this, does that mean the giraffe stepped on his own dick? Or the giraffe stepped on Rex Harrison's dick? Neither of these jobs are great. I hope it's Rex Harrison. And Mark Harris, his response implied that it was that the giraffe stepped on his own dick. Oh, that's funny, but Rex Harrison's would have been better. (laughs) Especially because he was a humongous dick to work for. Right. So he just... But also, at the time, he was married to the um, legendary British stage actress Rachel Roberts, who was basically drunk all of the time, and they fought like George and Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf all of the time. So if you want to read the book and like have the full description of it, do. It ended up getting some like seven or eight Oscar nominations, basically because the producers bought a steak and champagne dinner for every Oscar voter as bribery. Mm. And it worked. But also, that film is a train wreck that lost so much money. And basically killed movie merchandising for decades well, until Disney fixed that. <laughs> so another, you know, what do we do after Game of Thrones project that is maybe happening, but it's been maybe happening for about 15 years. So I'll believe it when I see it. But apparently Amazon now has Wheel of Time rights. 
Well, they've had that for a while, haven't they? But I think that it's... This is the thing is, everyone wants to do the next Game of Thrones, but I had assumed that Amazon kind of had their next Game of Thrones because they're doing Lord another of the Lord of the Rings show. Half mm. a billion dollars, guys. Yeah. Sure. I wonder if they're waiting to see if that flops or goes before they go elsewhere, but... Like Wheel of Time has, yeah, like it's been the the rights have been floating around forever, and I really do think that it could be a good successor. It's one of those that can it has a cast of thousands, it has fifteen books or however many you can cut out about half of them because nothing happens, you know. Just go the first five, and then just go the the Sanderson, like finales, and, and just skip the parts in the middle. I think. Y- Wasn't there fine. a terrible... Okay, so I think what happened was someone had the rights to Wheel of Time and basically, if you don't mm-hmm. make something within a certain period of time, mm-hmm. yeah. then I... the, the rights revert. Yep. So they made like an incredibly cheap, tacky yep. Yep. pilot that they never intended to show. It's but none 20 of the minutes long. It has Timothy Oliphant in it. It's on YouTube and it's entirely... I will link it in the show notes. You see the FX look on <laughs> It is so bad, you guys. It's like that infamous Fantastic Four that was never meant to be released. It's that. Oh, it's okay, I'm looking this up on Wired now. The reason, the real reason that Crazy Wheel of Time pilot was awful. Well, we know the reason. Uh, this is from 2015. If it will let me see it. It wasn't actually part of the books. It was it was like a prequelish part that I think is the epilogue or the prologue of the first book, one of those things. Okay, here's the opening line of this paragraph on Wired. Much as you might expect from an all but unannounced pilot running during the wee hours of the night, it was abysmal. The CGI during opening exposition sequence recalls the opening of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy run for a PlayStation Two. <laughs> I mean I this is something is Everyone wants to do the next Game of Thrones, but I feel like you don't do that by doing a series that is so kind of close in scale and tone and approach. Uh-huh. Like, I think you do the next... Ideally, you do the next Game of Thrones by doing something that is 180-degree turn from Game of Thrones. Because also, here's the thing, like, there are a lot of really great fantasy and sci-fi novels out there and franchises that could be made into series, and not all of them are written by white guys. <gasps> what? <laughs> I know, right? What? So that can't be right. why don't we see some of those? Like, why don't we see like N.K. Jemison's work turned into a TV series? Why don't we see anything by Joe Walton? Like, there are awesome writers out there, and frankly, I think that people—that's what people want—is they don't want necessarily, especially on a scale like this. Uh-huh. I think audiences want to find something that clicks for them in that really specific way because you cannot fake that. You, I think with something like a comedy, it's a bit different, especially if it's something that's like a binge watch you just have on in the background, mm-hmm. which is how you end up getting 12 seasons of The Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. which also just finished. It, this is the thing. I think that there are so many interesting options. I and mean, because everyone is fighting for a, frankly, a much smaller share of the audience, you could probably get away with being much more niche and much more kind of esoteric in your choices. Like the Umbrella Academy on Netflix, which I actually quite like. Um, and I'm really happy it got renewed for season two. And I thought it was really good, but I definitely don't know that it's made for like a huge audience. Like I think it's meant for the people, not necessarily just the comic book readers, but I, I, I do think it's one of those. According to find. Netflix, like Netflix, you can't believe everything they say about their numbers because they never provide anything to back it up. But they have said that that show is one of the most popular things they've ever had on their streaming service. Mm. 
But I, I don't like doing reporting or coverage of Netflix for that reason. It's like, I can't back that up. I have no numbers to to back up what you are saying, and I don't want to act as basically your unpaid publicity wing by just repeating this verbatim. Mm. I mean, the only thing that backs it up is the fact that they renewed it, and probably they wouldn't have renewed something that lost that isn't popular just on the hopes that it, they could, you well, know, puff it up. The entire it depends how much it costs because they they claim to have money to burn, but that's always been a really interesting conversation to have about them. We have you noticed how often like Netflix are now canceling shows after three seasons? Mm-hmm. Basically, their argument for this is that audiences primarily use Netflix to watch things that they have already seen before. There is a reason they're paying a hundred million dollars a year to hold on to friends, right? Because that is the thing that people watch. They don't want to watch new shit. They want to watch the same thing they've seen over and over again. And yet they still got rid of Cowboy Bebop and I had to go buy the DVDs like a common person. (laughs) But you know what? Support owning physical media, guys. Do it. So if something hasn't really built up a massive... Isn't building up a growing audience by its third season, it is considered not that worthy of further investment. So they'll cancel it. Mm -hmm. And maybe people will keep watching it or they will eventually find an audience. But the... The priority is not to expand upon that. It is different for something like, say, The Crown. But also with The Crown, they own that show outright. A lot of the shows that they that are Netflix exclusives are not technically 100% owned by them. And also they have no reason to, to keep investing in them, which is the reason One Day at a Time got cancelled. And shouldn't have, because I love that show. What's interesting about that is that it's kind of a two-edged sword because I could also think of quite a few shows that didn't need to go on for past a few seasons. You know, we it's one of those things where shows that if shows only get two or three seasons, it's not always a bad thing. Like some shows could like they do run out of steam and you know, like we all know shows that and series that dragged on way beyond what they should have because it was a moneymaker and nobody wants to cancel it and also I think it's what's driving this turn like to anthology shows because when something like black mirror where it's not one plot right and everybody does tune into like the new and they pick like which new episode they're going to watch maybe they don't have to watch all of them they'll just watch just the ones that got buzz so love and robots yeah it's 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 really creating a new landscape it depends on your format of anthology. If you look at a show like Easy, which is a Netflix anthology show, which is a like serious comedy drama about relationships, that hasn't latched onto the public consciousness anywhere near the same way that something like Black Mirror has. You really, I think that there does certainly have to be a level of not necessarily gimmick, mm-hmm. but I think it it's a format that works better in the current age for something more speculative. Mm-hmm. So you see things like the reboot of the Twilight Zone is another example of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apple TV are going to have an Amazing Stories reboot. There are all of these different things. And also that allows you star power. You can get an increased level of like big names on your show if it's like we only need you for an episode. Or like they do for True Detective. If you're only signed on for a season, then some, you know, a big name star, even a movie star will go do it because it's not a five year commitment or whatever. Well, a lot of stars are, like, major film stars are are coming to TV because it's where the work is. And it's where you have much more creative freedom and the kind of room to breathe with a really complex, prickly story that probably wouldn't get a massive distribution as a film nowadays. Look at something like 
sharp objects that Amy Adams did. If you wanted to adapt that into a film, like the amount of like really dark stuff you'd have to cut would probably neuter the entire point of the series. She's about Amy Adams is about to make the Poisonwood Bible into a series for HBO, which I'm very excited about because I was obsessed with that book as a teenager. <laughs> Nicole Kidman has basically in part revitalized her career and her public popularity through television with Big mm-hmm. Little Lies. And she has a bunch of stuff lined up, including all the stuff that everyone's now doing for Apple TV. Right. Uh, Reese Witherspoon has much more power as a TV producer than she does as a film producer. Uh, and she's basically adapting everything now. So it always circles back around to our, you know, prestige TV, pig TV <laughs> era that we live in. But, you know, mm. we started with uh, Avengers and, like, I pulled this off immediately into the <laughs> Game of Thrones boondoggle. But I, I kind of want to cir- circle back. Like, we, we've, we've, I think we've talked out how we feel about Game of Thrones and, and where TV is going later. I want to go back to Avengers because I, I do want to give us our thoughts on it was the final, you know, it really was a finale. It, I, I'm actually very impressed with how they made it a final movie in a series of movies, even though the MCU is not ending. Um, so why don't we give our thoughts, Raiden? I mean, first I have to admire the sheer ambition of 11 years and 22 movies And just going, okay, we're going to try and take a comic book universe and make that into movies and see if we can make a success out of it. And boy, howdy. Mm -hmm. They did. And I also am impressed that that they weren't, all of these movies weren't like cookie cutters of each other. Mm -hmm. There were definite different tones. Eventually there were different tones. (laughs) I mean, I think there were different tones, like even if you're looking at Iron Man versus Thor versus the first Captain America, those were not the same movie. They weren't cookie cutters of each other. Um, and then things got more adventurous as they were willing to go, hey, Taika, if we give you a pile of money... What are you going to do with it? And Tyke is like, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. We're sold. I'm going to do Jeff Goldblum. Like, I'm going to do Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so, like, sure. Um, and I really hope that those two work together again. Because um, that was fun. Uh, but, like, even within the Captain America movies, we're going to kind of let Civil War be because it was really Avengers two and a half. Mm-hmm. But the the difference in tone between the first Avenger and Winter Soldier was a lot of fun. And just being able to land this incredibly unwieldy jet when it was not a given at the beginning that this was going to even work. Um, and I think the the posts on Tumblr and Twitter giving kudos to the casting director, who has a name? Sarah Haley Finn. Yes. Was absolutely a part of that. If If these movies hadn't been cast well, then things would have fallen apart completely. Oh. I'm... <sighs> like I said, I'm, I'm really impressed with, with how much... And I'm impressed that um, MC so Disney Marvel movies whatever 
the producers have resisted any urge to make this to use this movie with their usual mid credits and post credits sequ- uh, sequences uh, credit uh, scenes to market towards future movies because we know you know the next Spider-Man is happening and all that but i liked that in the end instead of a mid credit scene we just get special credits for the original six i think like the original mm-hmm. avengers oh god i thought that was so pretentious oh it was pretentious but i still loved it i still i loved it. <laughs> Because it was like, here's the stories we wrapped up, and you know, in the end, and here's the woman we never gave her own solo movie until we killed her off. So now you know that's going to be a prequel because we didn't want to have to make a movie with a woman in it because our original CEO was a racist Trump supporting asshole. So there is the Black Widow problem because I, I cried my eyes out at Tony dying, but I can accept that uh, as as the you know the the end of his story and like I can accept that ending. I thought it was really nice that they chose not to like kill everybody who's gone, but to give Captain America like a, a nice ending. So it's not all doom and gloom, and we're not completely. But they did Black Widow dirty kind of throughout the series as a whole, mm-hmm. and in this movie too because she dies mm-hmm. in the middle because we need a death in the middle, and which means that you you're not mourning her as much because it just doesn't happen at the end. You know, it's just like a positioning thing and she barely gets kind of a mention there and it's weird. And it's like, why does she keep on having to be sacrificed metaphorically and literally for the good of the franchise and what would they did with her and that would <sighs> Joss Whedon did with her in the first Avengers. It was all just kind of, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I think losing Joss Whedon was, one of the better decisions mm-hmm. that they made midstream. So, so I like generally I had very positive feelings come out. I mean, like heartbroken, but positive feelings coming out of it. But yeah, the, the, it just, I remember how much the characters of Black Widow and Black Widow and Hawkeye as this, as this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. duo, how much they took, they captured the audience's imagination and both of those characters got warped and squandered. Like, the potential was squandered. Nobody knew, like, nobody went the, the like, Matt Fraction Hawker route that had the real fan fallen from the, from the comics. Nobody knew, like, or appreciated what they could do with Black Widow. She was wasted in pretty much every movie. She's always, like, the most competent, but, like, can we not have a movie where she just has to roll her eyes and drag people out of trouble? <laughs> Mm. And yeah, and in the end, it's like, and also, so she's just gonna die, and it's just. Mm. Yeah, and <sighs> I feel like they still did Gamora dirty too. Like, mm-hmm. I, I actually am not entirely like if once everything emotions die down, and you start nitpicking. I actually have no idea what happened to Gamora. Because she's not in the final sequ- scene with the other Guardians. It's... Right, because this Gamora was never... The, the Gamora that was part of Guardians died in Infinity War. Right. The Gamora that we see in Endgame is from just... 2014. <laughs> 2014, just pre-joining up with the Guardians. Right. So she hasn't had that history, and so she has no reason to, to hang around. But, she just but what happens off. to her? So, A, we, don't, we are assuming because... Gamora and future movies that she was not part of the Tony snap but she's now stuck several years in her future she's not seen leaving on the one space she she has so she's stuck on earth because 
Where, where is she physically? The movie did not know how to wrap that up. Or is she just like not in that scene because she's sitting in the back of the spaceship and she doesn't want to be seen with these losers? You know, like, where I, the, physically is she? The implication of Quill when he and the Guardians and Dad Bod Thor leave to go space Roman is that he was like running an, I don't know, intergalactic Google search for her. Mm-hmm. So his kind of overarching goal for the next chunk of Guardians is going to be looking for her. So presumably she took a spaceship and pieced out of there before Tony snapped his fingers. I guess. Something. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that was a little weird. Yeah. Kelly, I suspect you didn't quite like it as much as we liked it. <laughs> I didn't hate, like, I have stopped viewing these things as films. I view them as technically proficient exercises in corporate branding. Because the MCU, as a technical and creative feat, is impressive. By and large, I don't care. And this is partly a personal thing. This is partly because I reached superhero burnout around the age of Ultron. There are ones that I like, but this is not something that I rush out to see. It is such an all-consuming force that I can't help but be kind of weary and cynical of it. I think that the Russo brothers should get credit for pulling this off. I think it's also clear that there are certain characters they are really bad at writing and also don't care about. I don't think they know what to do with Thor. I think mm-hmm. that they should have just called in Taika Waititi to do that. I don't think they knew what to do with the Guardians, because apparently James Gunn wasn't available at that time. Uh, I think he doesn't know how to write women. And I also just think that as a film, it is hard to talk about these things in terms of being all-encompassing stories of this massive growing franchise when they are also clearly intended to be concluding moments for one specific part of it. And that's fine, but then it just becomes really obvious how much they don't care about things like later editions. Like, they don't know what to do with Captain Marvel. Like, not even close. We'll give her a cool haircut and then that's kind of it. That's all they really know what to do with her. Uh, are, are the the moments that are supposed to be these great, you know, moments to gif on Tumblr that just ring so hollow to me. So something like that scene where all of the female characters band together and then you realise, wow, you can fit all of the Marvel heroines in one frame. You don't even need to scooch them together. And Black Widow isn't there because you killed her off because you didn't want to kill off genocidal maniac Hawkeye. Mm. Because Jeffrey... Not Jeffrey, Jeremy. Jeremy. Because Jeremy Renner. I was going to say Jeffrey Tambor. That's not totally different. But he's already signed his <laughs> different issue. He's already signed his Marvel TV deal. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like, there were elements that I really like. I think Robert Downey Jr. is excellent. I think this um, Captain America story is, you know, concludes in the manner it should have concluded in. Basically, anytime they brought out like weird Professor Hulk, was really fun, just because I liked the explorations of the various ways that you can grieve and get over trauma Mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting I don't think it's given enough breathing room because I actually think the idea of having Hulk and having Thor descend into total apathy is really striking and having him basically become like fat like let's just say it he gets fat Mm -hmm. there's too many sniggering comments from the peanut gallery for that moment to truly land with the way it should yeah it's supposed to be funny, and it's like, are we still doing this? 
And it's a shame because actually one of the things that I liked about that moment is he doesn't get Finn. Like when he realizes that he is still worthy and he goes on to right. fight fans, he doesn't get Finn. There's no lightning strike that turns him back into like for a Ragnarok. It just braids his hair. Plus, he yeah. braids his hair, he puts on some armor it, and it, it decreases his hair a little bit, which that was good because that hair was gross. Like I, I get it. That. Like I kind of hope that if they do what I think we're all expecting them to do, which is that he joins the Guardians, if he just gets to stay fat, like I would be cool with that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, actually, I think Chris Hemsworth would be happier with that. Like, he could eat carbs. I feel like that would make like, him very he, he'll, he'll be whatever size Chris Hemsworth needs to be for whatever movie he's making on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there were things that I like. This is the thing is, these movies are so not for me. I tend to like my blockbusters, like the stuff that no one else likes, explaining my great love of Solo, a Star Wars story, and The Man from Uncle. But this was a, for people who were really invested in this. I hope they got what they wanted from it. But I also couldn't get over the fact that I really didn't care about the conclusion of stuff that I knew was going to get fixed in the end. Because Spider Man is two months away. Of course he's coming back. Mm-hmm. I would probably see Spider Man because that's got Jake Gyllenhaal in it. I like yeah. the consideration of Spider Man, and I think Tom Holland's adorable. Yeah, I was you know hardcore on the like. Do we really need three Spiders Men? No. In in my lifetime, I mean, we needed Spider Verse. Like, mm-hmm. I think no one can argue with that. We needed Spider Verse, but like, yet another Spider Man. God, really? And then Tom Holland turned out to be really adorable, and I really liked his vaguely overwhelmed. I'm trying to pass AP calculus and also fight off Michael Keaton, and. I'm just very stressed out about all of this, you guys. I really liked his take on that. And so maybe didn't need the Andrew. We definitely didn't need the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. I still feel a little sorry for him because I think Tom Holland is having the Spider-Man that Andrew Garfield wanted. He wanted to be part of the Avengers and all that. But, you know, sorry, Andrew. He's fine. He's like a Tony winner and an Oscar nominee. Like, (laughs) he'll be fine. (laughs) I, I think it will be interesting to see what happens next now that they don't have to do this continual build-up to a massive crescendo. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Eternal sounds like it could be really interesting. I mean, Angelina Jolie in a Marvel movie, like, I am here for that. Yeah. I, I, I'm very much in for that. But honestly, like, this the sort of superhero stuff I'm more interested in seeing is what happens when they're scaled back dramatically. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, I really enjoyed Shazam. Mm-hmm. If I was nine years old, that would be like my favorite movie of all time. That or Detective Pikachu. Mm-hmm. I think the Joker movie is going to be awful, but I plan to drink extensively throughout. Like there are options now, and I I think that is interesting. But yeah, also there are options that we're all afraid of, which is what do they do now that they have X Men? Oh, X Men will get rolled in as a multiverse thing, I assume. But also. It would probably end up being a TV series. I think that was a more likely outcome. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win situation for Disney now that Dark Phoenix is coming out. If that movie is good and makes a lot of money, then Disney <laughs> wins at their property. If that movie is bad, which I think we all know it's going to be, then it just gives them carte blanche to scrap all of that and start again. But I don't think they're in any particular rush. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be in a rush if it was me. Right. It's I 
I'm a little wary now. I don't know how the Disney Channel things are going to happen in Canada. Um, it's a little weird. So we don't have Hulu because, you know, Hulu hasn't bothered to expand here. For example... Oh, that's it- happening because Disney are about to get 100% hold of it. But I don't know... So, for example, HBO... Canada, HBO doesn't actually run a Canadian channel. Instead, they license the name and all of the content to Bell, which has rolled it out as part of their own streaming service that we have here called Crave. So during the Game of Thrones season, I there's the regular Crave subscription. I up it to the uh, Crave plus HBO tier. So I can, you know, watch watch the live stream. It also gives it gives me access to all the HBO content because that's who who owns it in Canada. There are some things that I get on Netflix that aren't on Netflix in the U.S. because that's who gets the Canadian rights, you know. So Amazon is the one that has its own, you know. Amazon exists in kind of every country on its own. So to get Amazon stuff, I actually have to have the Canadian Amazon Prime or Prime Video, whichever. With Disney, I haven't yet heard how they're going to do their, like, the international distribution rights, whether they're going to bother or maybe they're going to do, like, a deal for a few years with another streaming service and then take over on their own? So, I believe you you two beat me on this run. Disney Plus rolls out in North America in November. It's going to then take another couple of years to roll out across the rest of the world which will prove problematic for critics like me because there are films and series that are set for release day launches, including the Star Wars series, which we won't be then legally be able to get until the streaming service comes here. Mm-hmm. But if you want it, you're going to have to subscribe to it. Mm. But they are only charging, I think, five ninety nine a month. They are undercutting Netflix so hard because they're Disney and because they're evil. Don't kill me, Mickey. Please don't. <laughs> I mean, they own everything now. I mean, that's another reason that I find talking about, like, Marvel and stuff just really weary because, like, there's no fun in rooting for the mm. multi-billion dollar corporation that is leading to one of the most insidious media monopolies of our time. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sick of talking about my genuine fears of that and having t- people on Twitter post that shitty let people enjoy things meme. Yeah, it's not the same Let thing. that meme die. Okay. You can enjoy whatever the hell you want, stay the hell out of it. I don't think that's how Adam Ellis meant it. No. No, I don't think he did either, but he still keeps using that meme knowing how it's being used. So come on, dude. There's a difference between let people enjoy things without you unnecessarily shitting on them and critics and reporters doing their jobs yeah. yep. and yep. screaming at them that they're not letting people enjoy things, okay? Yep. Let people not enjoy things. <laughs> I, I found an April article which says that Disney has mentioned that they're so Disney Plus has come to the United States in November and a North American launch is set for the first quarter of twenty twenty, so maybe you can extrapolate that Canada and Mexico I guess are getting it. I think this is a stupid strategy yeah. because piracy is a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean do we even allow Mexico to be part of North America anymore? I'm not sure about this. You want to start using USCMCA I don't know what that new trade agreement is called. Yeah. Whatever. It's not even getting ratified. It's been a really long month you guys. Yeah. I'm wary of all the Disney Plus TV shows they're planning because the thing about the Disney Plus 
channel show original shows that they've already announced is that the Netflix shows when they existed I enjoyed like the first seasons of a lot of them I was really into Daredevil for a couple of seasons but they never worked as part of the MCU just never ever ever mm-hmm. there's a lot that once MCU gets really big there's a lot that starts falling apart because there's a lot of both shows and movies where characters will have dialogue and I listen to it and think but aliens <laughs> You know, like, there are a lot of things that kind of don't make as much sense once you know that aliens can invade Earth at any moment. <laughs> like, it's just a little weird. So, I always th- thought that the Netflix shows would have worked better if they weren't, if they were explicitly not part of the MCU. If they were just their own little universe. So, I'm wondering, you know, if if Disney Disney's launching all these shows, like, Loki obviously has to be part of the MCU. And I'm guessing that's what the whole scene in Avengers was, like, backdooring Loki as a character who's still alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of Loki just, like, traveling around space, fucking up people's lives, and possibly being written by Taika Waititi, like, that's, that's a show I, I could use in my life. I can't say that there's a massive amount of things about the Marvel series I'm into. I've been told that the WandaVision show is, which they're calling WandaVision, which is terrible. I hope they change that. But apparently it's going to have like a 1950s retro futurist style, which okay. could be really good. But also like, animated, it would be nice right? to see a development of that sh- relationship because it's really interesting in the comics and the movies didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. No, in the movies, it just kind of happened out of nowhere and for no reason and led to nothing. And just like Paul Bettany's increasing lack of fucks. It's been very sad. I mean... It's really weird because, yeah, he went from this kid. Like, I think he he had a great time just providing his voice and, you know, cashing that paycheck and residuals for the rest of his life. And then suddenly he had to be in makeup for what was probably like four hours minimum. But that's also the thing that they have in Infinity War, where he's like, he's just Paul Bettany now. Like, let's just let him look like that for a while. I love the story of him begging Ron Howard to be in Solo. <laughs> it makes me very happy. If you watch, he's on, I think it's Jimmy Fallon, where he he shows a picture of the text message he sent Ron Howard, where he said something to the effect of, do you lie awake on these cold winter nights wondering why you're not in a Star Wars movie? I do. <laughs> oh, and then, like, Ron Howard literally texted back, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I liked the one where he texted a picture of, like, his foot from the makeup trailer of the set of whatever the uh, i think it was age of ultron like the first movie where he was going to be vision and somebody replied can we get a sexier pic and he's like okay and it's a picture of his foot but now the sock is rolled down halfway (laughs) (laughs) have you heard the story about how he proposed to jennifer conley no no so they weren't dating they had met and were friends and then apparently he as he said this and i think it was a larry king interview when 9-11 happened, he spent like three days trying to call to make sure that she was okay and wondering, I don't really know this woman. Why am I? Oh, oh, I know why I'm doing this. So he called her and says, are you okay? We should get married. And then they did. Oh, They met Aww. on A Beautiful Mind, I'm assuming? Yeah, but they weren't dating at the time. Right. That's adorable. <laughs> and he did mention that he had a crush on her when she was in Labyrinth. Aww. Well, I mean, well, didn't we all? <laughs> I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's just common sense, man. Yeah. I do like the Easter egg of her being uh, the voice of Karen in the Spider-Man suit. Mm. The the voice of Friday is uh, Carrie Condon, I think I'm getting her name yes. right, from from Rome. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Okay. I... She's on Better, she's Stacey on Better Call Saul, if you watch that. She was also in Luck, which got cancelled yeah. after one season. No, I got her mixed up with Kelly McDonald. Ah, uh, okay. 
No, she is in Trainspotting. Yes. I know she's also in Brave. Yes, she is Merida in Brave. Yeah. Yeah. I saw an adorable tweet that goes to Brave of a mom who watched Brave with her two-year-old. And after it was over, the two-year-old looked at her mom and went, Mama turn in a bear? And the mom said, no, no, don't worry, baby. Mama's not going to turn into bear. Two-year-old, visibly distressed. Mama turn into bear, please? (laughs) And I know several two-year-olds of my acquaintance who that would be their reaction. Um, Speaking of movies, I saw The Hustle. Nothing to do with any big comic book franchise. I actually went to see like a mid-budget movie in theaters, you guys. Who does that anymore? (laughs) <laughs> I went to see John Wick three. I'm planning. I'm planning on John Wick three and Detective Pikachu, but that's I don't count that as a small mid budget movie. Whereas the Hustle is for anybody who who is not ringing a bell because it's kind of a stupid title. It's the Rebel Wilson and Hathaway buddy comedy that's been marketed as a gender bend, dirty rotten scoundrels. It's kind of like that bit of Spy with Melissa McCarthy and um, Rose Byrne. Uh, it. That that's the movie. That that's this movie. That's the hustle. It was good. It was a comedy. It was pretty funny. There are good bits in the trailer, but like kind of the movie is that. If you enjoy like mid-budget move, small movies, and you would like to see it in theaters, I would recommend. Um, but it does do something in the end that I fear it's going to get a lot of flack for in reviews. So I think I'm just going to stay away from reviews because I'm kind of not in the mood for why other people didn't like it. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll put a spoiler warning here. Do you guys care about the spoilers? No. 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 Okay. So the, t- the, team, the movie isn't actually about Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson teaming up. L- like most of the movie, they're actually kind of antagonistic towards each other. And the second half of the movie is them going like, okay, we really need to get rid of each other. How about we place a bet? The first one to swindle this tech billionaire of money wins. So they go through this ruse of both of them trying to swindle him out of money. And in the end, it turns out that actually he is a con man. And he takes, and because they were both so concentrated on each other, he managed to swindle them both and take off. Because his grandma was a legendary con artist too, and she taught him all the tricks. And I feel like it's and in the end he shows up with a kind of proposal like you know what we should all just work together and take real rich people for a real lot of money and also he and rebel wilson kind of have a romance going like i could just see the reviews of all like this was supposed to be like about women con artists and in the end like this guy outsmarts them and i thought like plot ways in the movie it actually worked because you know the moment they start going at each other instead of an actual mark they lose sight of you know, like it creates an opening for somebody else to come and con them. So I, I don't like. I think it's fine, and you know, it's all still funny and everything. So Anne Hathaway's great in comedy, and I, you know, she obviously like really loves it. This whole Ocean's Eight thing that she's got going on. She's having the time of her life, like you can tell. Mm. But there was also a really weirdness in the end because. Uh, one of the sets is uh, Anne Hathaway's character has this French Riviera villa with like this wonderful backyard with a view onto the sea. So she and Rebel Wilson are sitting there and then the guy comes in and he's leading a group of tourists, wealthy tourists that he's primed to get taken. So he's kind of like pulls them into the con right then and there. 
and they play along and like, yeah, let's fleece these guys. And then it's just the three of them. And then suddenly it switches to a really obvious green screen. So I think they reshot the scene in post-production. Hmm. So I'm really curious why, like I'm kind of wondering what they changed. They had to come back and like redo it against the green screen. That's uh, at very end. But yeah, it was small. It was funny. If you're in mood for a comedy, you can go do it. Uh, I don't think it's going to make a lot of money in theaters, but it's it's got a style to it. It's it's the kind of thing that does a lot better, I think, now on streaming because it really is the kind of movie where you go, I could leave the house or I could just wait for Netflix. And I understand why Netflix wins. If a friend and I hadn't wanted to go out, I probably wouldn't have gone to see the movie in theaters. I can't say it takes my fancy. I mean, I am also just at the stage where I am mostly feeling condescended to in terms of, hey, you want this really cool story with women? It's just a reboot of things that used to be about men, but we're still going to have men direct it. Mm-hmm. I I am glad that Anne Hathaway has found her like really good funny shtick. I kind of hope she goes back to making dramas. Uh, she's doing an adaptation of a Joan Didion book that comes out this year with Dee Rees, who made Mudburn, so I'm excited to see that. Oh. I really, really wish she wasn't doing a remake of The Witches. Oh, is that actually the original... happening? Oh yeah, Robert Zemeckis is doing it. She's playing the Grand High Witch, which um, no offence, you're not Angelica Houston. Okay, but like <laughs> Fair enough. But also, like, that film is still terrifying. Like, that film is genuinely disturbing as all fuck. Let that film ruin future generations. We don't need to remake it. <laughs> That's the one with, like, the weird story about witches who eat and kill little kids, right? Yeah. It is a full-on nightmare fuel. There is a moment in that film where a small boy turns into a mouse, and it is like something out of a fucking Clive Barker movie. Horror, but for children. Mm. What did you think about John Wick 3? Uh, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a simple woman with simple needs. I want to watch Keanu Reeves kill millions of people while drenched in bisexual lighting as esteemed character actors watch on from the sides. Am I going to be happy with Mark Dacascos in this movie? Hell yeah! Oh my god, Iron Chef America is having like the best time ever in this movie. <laughs> but I will say, you do watch that movie desperately hoping at some point he will just randomly start screaming like, Mangoes! Or something like that. He never does. Um, and he doesn't? No, he doesn't. I'm sorry. Oh, he does have like an actual fanboy moment over John Wick, which is very fun. <laughs> but it's exact. This is the thing: is that series knows exactly what it is. It's a hyper-violent, over-stylized action series that knows its roots and plays by a really specific set of rules. The basic idea is like they're killers, but they're not monsters. They have like bureaucracy that they have to deal with. <laughs> and rules and like entire rooms full of tattooed stenographers dealing with like the legal side which is really fun uh so i don't think it's been a, i don't think anyone has used keanu this well in years he's so good in these movies you guys don't we all just love keanu don't yes. we just want what's best for keanu I've i know what I've now read the latest because there was that GQ profile that was really great. And uh, today I read the story on uh, The Ringer. Am I getting The Ringer? Yeah, I'll, I'll link them in the show notes and like bring on to me all of the profiles that are giving Keanu his well-deserved tongue baths because we love him. and He deserves all of the best things. Mm. 
He is so great in this, and I just appreciate that we've gone from like ironically loving Keanu to just earnestly adoring him as like the cinnamon roll of a human being that he is. If you saw him on Colbert, when Colbert clearly asked like a leading question of what do you think happens after he we die, uh, and then he gave like the perfect answer that broke the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, and... That he loves puppies. He every co-star he's ever worked with has had a crush on him. What else? Uh, and also, this week we saw the trailer for um, Always Be My Maybe, which is yeah. a Netflix romantic comedy written by and starring Ali Wong and Randall Park, in which Ali Wong is a genius yeah. who has written a movie in which she gets to be romanced by Randall Park, Daniel J. Kim, and Keanu Reeves. Like, it's like Cheekbone City. It really is. And you need to watch the trailer for, like, full-on sex god Keanu Reeves. No, it's like, Ali Wan is really the woman's like, yes, she she did with everything. Like, if you... She's like, give me money to write a romance in which I get to pick my guys. And she picked the perfect guys. Like, we're so with you, Ali yeah. Wong. Thank you for this gift. She picks the perfect guys, and also her hair is amazing. If I... you have not seen Ali Wong's stand-up specials on Netflix, they're called Hard Knock Wife and Baby Cobra, and they are so funny. She is just genuinely hilarious and filthy. Yeah. So I am glad that she's going to get to have her filth with Keanu Reeves, who apparently took the role because he's such a big fan of her. Oh, It makes it even better. Of course Keanu yes. would. And he gets to growl, I miss your thighs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is so good. There is a great moment in Ali Wong's stand-up show where she talks about meeting her husband and saying oh my god, I'm going to trap his ass. And (laughs) that is what she is doing here now. She has trapped Keanu's ass, and he does not mind. (laughs) So that should be coming out a couple months' time, I believe. But please watch it, because... First of all, I appreciate that we've all accepted that Randall Park is adorable, but Mm. just, like, like man after man. Oh no, not a couple of months, a couple of weeks. That comes out May 31st. Oh, that's even better. Mm. Excellent. So, speaking of uh, John Wick, kind of, did you watch the Matt Mickelson John Wick knockoff Polar yet? Not yet. Guys, give yourself the gift of Matt Mickelson's ass. It's on Netflix. It's there to use to see. Like, Polar is Matt Mickelson fucks the movie. It also kills people. But also has sex, and you get to see his ass. And I, I know I called it a John Wick knockoff. It's actually based on a comic book. So it kind of like the, the idea is, is not, you know, like it's based on an idea that predates, I believe, John Wick. But it's very similar in that there's, you know, a cabal of killers who have bureaucracy. But also Mass Mickels gets, you know, naked and sex. And I, I don't understand. It's a movie in which Mass Mickels is naked and has sex and Kaylee has not seen it. Which universe am I living in? Well, the reviews were terrible, and also, I have Google. Look, I'm a busy woman. Sometimes I just need the pictures. <laughs> it's not the same, trust me. This movie's an experience. Okay, then I have the gif. For the movement. convince Kaylee to watch a movie with a naked Matt Mickelson. Like, I have to sell this to you? <laughs> Look, like I said, I'm a busy woman. 
I'm on the clock constantly. You have no idea how many tabs I have open on this thing right now because I'm still trying to work. <laughs> uh, and once again, I just really want to watch Hannibal mostly. Let's <laughs> just like watch Gifts of Hannibal for a while. I uh, have been watching Hannibal with my roommate who who hadn't who'd only seen like the first two episodes and then she's like, I need to finish this. So we've been watching it and I keep one, I keep cackling because like especially that first season, I forgot how funny it was. Oh like, yeah. This the show is hilarious. funny overall. I mean there are some great laugh lines, and not just because of the, the the cannibal puns, right? <laughs> and then also telling her about like what what the fanable experience was like. And I'm like, and then Brian said this, and she's like, "Who's Brian?" I'm like, "Brian Singer. He talked to Fuller. us." Fuller. Fuller. <laughs> Fuller. Me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Forgive me, Brian Fuller, for I have sinned. <laughs> Brian Fuller, he would talk to us all the time. He told us about how all this shit worked. And it, let me talk to you about the butt crack that they had to fill with blood to pass standards and practices. My, one of my my favorite humor in that show is when Raul Esparza, when he's at the Hannibal like Order dinner party, and he just keeps making faces at the food. Yeah, that's after he's already found out that you know Hannibal's the killer and the cannibal. Do you remember? <laughs> Okay. I mean, my favorite, my two favorite bits actually in terms of that is both in season three. One is when Hannibal stabs that guy in the head and then just says that may have been impulsive. <laughs> um, and the other one is when Mason Verger and his um, Cordell are basically explaining how they're going to cook and eat him. And he just like, that sounds really nice, actually. <laughs> he just looks very proud that the meal sounds really tasty. Uh, Mason Verger. Is your social worker in that horse? <laughs> yes, the greatest line that has ever been spoken in television history. And Hannibal's just wordless reaction of, I fucking eat people, and this shit is actually too weird for me. And let's not forget, spitters are quitters, and you don't strike me as a quitter. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Oh, show. Oh, show. I miss that show. I really do. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I think it ended perfectly. On the other hand, I would sell out every single one of you people for a fourth season. <laughs> same and same. Yeah. It's understandable and completely fair. <laughs> okay, I feel like we have to talk about like this weekend's breaking pop culture news, which is that we may have a new Batman. Yeah, I just found out. I just Can found I just out. say, like, I was already in favor of this idea, but seeing how many men it has pissed off, yes. our pats for Batman. Our pads for Batman. I mean, you Our go bats. Bats. Our bats. <laughs> Trademark that. Trademark that before somebody takes Robert it. Robert Pattinson, we're gonna milk this shit. <laughs> I'm so on board. There is a movie he made very shortly after Twilight. It was one of the first, like, weird indie movies he made after Twilight. It wasn't Bellamy. It was Cosmopolis. Mm-hmm. Oh, but he's basically playing, like, spoiled rich playboy who's not a superhero in that movie so i think he can do it like he's proven himself to be one of the most interesting indie actors of the past decade he's worked with so many great auteurs he's continuing to work with great auteurs i'm surprised he would want to take on a project like this because we saw what happened the last time he was on a major franchise press tour Mm. (laughs) which is another reason i want this to happen because that's oh please oh yeah please it was the best we got so much out of that 
Santa, we have been so, so good. good. <sighs> so I, I this thing is the, so the new Batman movie, which I believe is currently titled The Batman, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Matt Reeves, who did the last two Planet of the Apes movies. He's kind of the right guy you want working on a movie like this. It's been described as being more like a noir, which we really haven't seen a Batman movie that's kind of fully leaned into that aspect, and I would love to see that. I also just really want a Bruce Wayne who's kind of got his shit together. Yeah. I I do not need to see Thomas and Martha Wayne get killed again. I know that image better than I know the faces of, like, half my friends. I just want to see a, a Bruce Wayne who is dealing with trauma but is dealing with it is right. consumed by darkness and knows how to like smile and make jokes and make friends and maybe and, and maybe play could, it, could you know? we could we i'm just throwing this out here since you know batman is supposed to be the world's greatest detective maybe uh, actually doing some i don't know detecting, detecting? yeah that would be nice yeah it's it's one of the things that uh, the tom holland spider-man did right is like we did not need to watch uncle ben die again we know we the, with great power comes we know we fucking know man right so i thought that was great i really love that the mcu did that and i agree with you that this is the less one of the lessons that you know our bats <laughs> the movie needs to to learn we we don't need it we know we know where batman comes from we know Everybody knows, even the people who's never, you know, read a comic in their life. Let's just move on straight into the story. My not- mother's name was Martha. Mm. <sighs> like, just think about how many other ways we could make like major like conflicts in pop culture end that way. You know, <laughs> we share the same mother name. Like, mm. We could dig into that one for days. That would be fun. Yeah. But now we get to like Dreamcast, who's going to be like Catwoman and things. Uh, my Catwoman choice is Ruth Nega. <gasps> right? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. She's the only bearable thing about Preacher. <laughs> well, she's not dating Dominic Cooper anymore. Oh, well. He's dating Gemma Chan. I mean, they broke up a while. Well, they were married, weren't they? Didn't? Wasn't no, they some... were never married. Oh, okay. I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And it's been a, it's been like a year, I think. I mean, they were together for a while, though. Yeah, they broke up while the series was filming, so mm-hmm. a little awkward, maybe. Eh, I imagine so, but you know, it's the risk you get into when you sign into a long-term project with your partner. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, Al- uh, Alfred. Mm-hmm. We need, we need oh yeah, a- that that exists. That's not an Onion article come to life. <sighs> It's just that we've already had kind of like you wanted Michael Caine to play Alfred, and we had that right. Like we've already gone through a lot of our Alfred wish list by now. So what are we left with? Helen Mirren. Sure, yes. Because <laughs> like once you've had Michael Caine and Jeremy Irons, where else do you go? And who's Alfred on uh, Gotham? Sean Pertwee. Pure- it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's that show also just ended. Yeah, they just finally reached the, like, well, we're finally reaching Batman years, so we're not Gotham anymore. I guess that's, we're done. Yeah. Do, but I, I stopped watching a long time ago. Do the Riddler and Penguin eventually have sex? No idea. I only watched the first season. Because no, he is in love with him in the show, which is, like, a really cool development that they do, and then they don't do anything with. <laughs> and I do enjoy Robin Lord Taylor as Penguin. I just, <laughs> just didn't care enough to keep watching the show. Yeah, exactly. 
Like the casting was good, and the, the rest of it was like. You know. I I really enjoyed what we did with their Alfred because I really enjoyed that moment where he almost lets baby Bruce like beat a classmate to death, and the classmate said he almost killed me, and Alfred's like, and I almost let him, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy who raises a vigilante. Yep. So, so yeah, that'll be interesting casting news for a while, I guess. Now that are, are we done talking about who's the next Bond? Or are we still talking about who's the next Bond? I uh, guess the tale is Bond. It is true. Look, or... I, I am not saying that I made John Cho as Spike Spiegel happen. But you made John Cho as Spike Spiegel. I never take the credit for that. Obviously, that would be Obviously true. not. Obviously I'm not. saying that I've been campaigning for it for two solid years before it actually happened. And then it did happen despite the odds. So, Death Patel right. is Bond. This was not right. my idea. This was my other podcast co-host Sarah Mars's idea. She posited the idea when I met her in TIFF after she saw the wedding guest and was like, let this man be Bond. So we are fighting for this. Oh, and also, someone show is going to be Spike Spiegel, guys. I still can't believe that's happening. But I hope Keanu Reeves shows up in that show because I feel like he wanted that for a while and it never happened for him. And I hope they find like a role for him just as a gift for Keanu and for us. He was my choice for Vicious. Like, I feel like he was always much better suited to that role than to Spike. Mm. But um, I would like him to pop up at some point in the show, definitely. But also, John Cho is Spike Spiegel, guys. Yes. You do not know how much I wanted this for a really long we, we time. We do not have a lot of good things anymore, so I'll take my good things where I can find them. All right, Kaylee, just continue to use your powers for good. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Did we get good movies out of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else I would really love. <laughs> I mean, I will say I would very much like the R. Pats as Batman thing to be true. I know that he is up against Nicholas Holt, I believe. Uh. It would also be really good. If anyone has seen The Favourite, he is incredibly funny in that movie. I think that he could make actually a really good Batman, but I just, I really need to see the martini glasses full of male tears that will come when Edward Cullen is Bruce Wayne. Sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Yes. Also, I hope that Pattinson also refuses to work out for this like he did with Twilight and they just like paint his abs on. <laughs> it was so beautiful. I still treasure that picture. <laughs> he went to the gym like twice and he just gave up. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> nah, I'm good. See, this is why I wonder if Nicola Holt will get it just because coming off Aveng- um, X-Men the studio will find him more amenable to the superhero regime. Mm. This is the thing is, I'm really curious as to see what actors will hold out now. Like, who are the actors who are genuinely never going to be in a, a superhero movie? Because I feel like Leo is still the holdout. Yeah. Mm. Apparently they originally wanted him for that Joker movie. He was their choice. Huh. And apparently he said no. But like, I feel like unless you gave him a hundred million dollars and complete creative control and actually got like Scorsese to direct, I don't think he would do it. Yeah, but I also don't want him to. There is that too. Like, I, I, I like Leo, but I think he makes incredibly safe choices as an actor. I would like him to just like occasionally pop up in like a Tarantino movie every five or six years and then go back to. Shagging supermodels young enough. I don't want him to go back to shagging supermodels young enough to be his kids. Like, you know, Ugh. just go off and live on your yacht, you know? Yeah. 
Ugh, can't believe how over him I am. Yes, you, you ate bear liver or whatever. whoop de doo No one asked you to, Leo. Yep. What has Leo been up to? Well, he's in a new Tarantino film that comes out in July, of what premieres at Cannes next week. He does a lot of charity stuff. His big cause is, uh, is environmental issues. Right. He's supposed to be doing The Devil in the White City, but that is now being made into a TV series, and I don't think he's actually going to be in it. I think he's just producing it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and it's... apparently he's going to be doing Guillermo del Toro's new movie. Alright. I will be interested to see the reviews of the new Tarantino film. So, Because it's about the Manson family. <sighs> don't know how I feel about movies. I don't know. It's always difficult when when it's movies, but about real life things that are awful. Can I just say how much I love that phrase, I don't know how to feel about movies. <laughs> <laughs> same, I, should, same. I should have just stopped that. It's like, you know, uh, you've been writing about Jared Harris, but it's the TV shows about Chernobyl, and I don't know how to feel about that. Like, I haven't watched it yet. I, I was wondering, because I wanted to ask you about this. I haven't... Also, there's some, like, terrible Russian in John Wick 3, and I would love to know your opinion on that when you see that. Oh, yes. I can probably <laughs> forgive John Wick. Well, because... Like, you just bless Keanu for not even trying an accent. He's just talking as himself and no, doing No, because remember, John Wick 1 had the whole thing about the Russian mafia, and it was awful, and I almost forgot after John Wick 2, but they gave him a nickname of a Russian fairytale character, only it was all wrong and something Russians would never call him. They, he calls himself Baba Yaga, but he's nothing to do with the actual like folk tale of Baba Yaga, right? And it, it makes no sense. <laughs> I think I think the obviously not Russian people who wrote this thought it sounded just close enough to Boogeyman to where like, well, see, he's the Boogeyman for actual assassins. Except that's not what it means. That's not what it means to a Russian. It's a cartoon cartoon character who like eats little children. The, also, it's a woman, and Russians don't kind of do their kind of gender bending. It's just, like, not something the Russian mafia would call him, ever. Welcome to Russia, Splaining, with Alina. If we can have Russian Splained by an actual Russian, who can we have Russian Splained to? I... What pisses me off is that there is a fairy tale character that I could see that would, could make a good, like nickname for him like if they wanted the russians to give him a russian nickname of a fairytale character they could have gone with kashi bismirtni and it would have made sense yeah but then you would have to ask keanu to pronounce that <sighs> yep so um, option can three I just say, like when i went to see john work free i saw a trailer for the new luke Besson movie which is about a an assassin russian supermodel named anna but on the trail on the poster anna is spelt with one of the ends backwards as if oh look it's vaguely russian looking and it's like it's not really how that language works guys <laughs> stop putting letters backwards and thinking it looks russian the english letter n right yeah reverse exactly which is it's not even like the russian one <laughs> right which is the russian letter e which means her name is now either aina or ania because it, it is a letter in russian it's just not an n <laughs> So I have to say, I am very curious. Are you going to watch Chernobyl? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, I, I think I probably will. I'll give because it a try. Because it's gotten great write-ups. And I will watch anything that has Skarsgård and Jared Harris in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which also means I'm going to have to watch that fucking Morbius Living Vampire movie, because he's in that. Thanks, Jared. But also, like the write-ups for this have been great, but it is one of those things where... I don't want to say too soon, mm -hmm. but you still can't go to that town. 
people don't live there anymore. You can. You know? So I'll find. You can kind of. You can visit. There's. There's. You can go to tourism trail for it, which feels yeah. really gooch. So. Here's the thing. It's uh, I think I told this story before years ago on this podcast, but when K-19 The Widowmaker came out, mm-hmm. I went to see that in theaters. My mom didn't. My mom said she couldn't bear it because she still remembered the actual, like, you know, the fallout from the, the actual accident. So with Chernobyl, my parents had friends who were there who were from, you know, so again, I think it's one of those things where I'm not sure, like, my mom could watch this. Um, so she, cause she told me stories about them, you know, like the people were left in there, I think at least a day, maybe more. They, the, nobody was told what happened. The city stayed, like the people stayed in the city. They didn't evacuate them until at least a day later with literally, they could take nothing. The clothes on their back were ringing. So they had to like strip those, you know, like, and, um, the survivors actually, I believe, even now entitled to like medical benefits because they're all like, you know, they were left there in radiation cloud. They were literally just left there. So, like, it was awful, you guys. Like, what? not just, like, this accident happens, but, like, the failure on all levels to protect anybody mm-hmm. who's, like, from this fallout was was immense. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. I, it's not that I think the show won't respect that or anything, but we'll see. So I think I probably will, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of Russians closer to my parents' generation who f- who will find it just a little too hard, a little too close to home, and like you said, a little too soon. Because those people are still alive, you know, and their friends and families are still and it's just... I mean, the way that people died at Chernobyl is maybe the most horrifying way that you can die. And I know that this series is very brutal about that. Like, dying of radiation poisoning may be the worst way to die. And mm-hmm. the show doesn't skirt around that. But also, for a lot of people, we still view that as like, well, that wouldn't happen to us. That's right. years I... ago. That definitely wouldn't have, it didn't affect me. And it's like, it's, you know, this is still very much a problem. I mean, what happened in Japan only like, what, seven or eight years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I just linked you guys, and I'll link it in the show notes as well. There, a wonderful article, journalist traveling into the exclusion zone. Um, this was from a few years ago now. I read it in Russian, but luckily there's an English version of the article as well. And if you just quickly want to scroll through, there's photographs, the abandoned buildings. Did you know that the um, the the cement that the the building is burdens that's called the sarcophagus the entire structure mm. i mean i will watch it because like i said i will watch anything with those actors and also i mean it is an interesting story and story is king and stuff like this mm-hmm. but and also i am curious about accents because <laughs> apparently they're doing that thing where like some people are doing accents and other people are just like I'm acting what do you want from me which yeah. I respect it's that thing um, where they're English speakers playing Russian characters and everybody is Russian but some of them speak English with a Russian accent and some of them are just speak English right like I'm just saying you could be making an excellent side gig as just like Russian dialect coach you don't even have to teach them an actual Russian dialect you can just say that it is and cash the money <laughs> No, you just add another backwards N there. That's correct. That's definitely very Russian. Now, how much can you pay me for this? Capitalism, Alina. Uh. Use capitalism <laughs> for your own purposes. Rise up amongst the proletariat. Exactly. Um, or just like tell us if anyone is having their names pronounced correctly in this show. Because I'm not even it. going to bother saying any of these people's names. <laughs> 
but if you want to see Chernobyl, it is currently on HBO. It's Sky Atlantic if you're in the UK. Look elsewhere if, if wherever country you are in. But it features Jared Harris, Stellan Skarsgård, um, Emily Watson is in it. Uh, Jesse Buckley, who's kind of rising star. Uh, but you will see like people playing Gorbachev and things like that. So it's only going to be five episodes long, I think. So it's definitely well, a miniseries. I don't think you can spin this into like Game of Thrones. They had to hire no. a makeup artist to put uh, Gorbachev's like birthmark spot. One spl- Yeah. On to paint that in somebody's head. That's fun. Who's mm. playing Gorbachev? Actually, uh, an actor called David Densick, who is apparently Danish slash Swedish. That's close enough to Russia. He's closer than where I am. <laughs> I'm looking at his IMDb profile, and I like. I think I see it. He like, has I been think... in like a bunch of Mads Mikkelsen projects, so we've mm. probably seen them in things. <laughs> and he's going to be in a new Bond movie, so. Right. Hmm. But I, which they had to suspend filming on because somebody, Daniel Craig, busted his Daniel Craig's ankle. <laughs> I can't believe he's I still making those movies. We all really liked Rami Malek and we would have been excited at the possibility of him playing a Bond villain. Yeah. That was before. Before the dark times. Before the dark times. <laughs> So I'm currently reading this article on Chernobyl. Like, the, first of all, the layout of this website is very cool. Uh, it's not normally. It's uh, normally a, a regular news website. This was a special report. So yeah, they they scroll through the photos. So they made it very much like a, you know, the photojournalism here is kind of king. So mm-hmm. I can see why. Oh, and it also just like randomly starts adding sound. Can I just say how spooky it is that there is like a, like shop that tourists can go to when they visit mm. Chernobyl. Well, people have to work somewhere. Some people... There is a really... Oh, there's the creepy doll. There's always a creepy doll at these places. Yeah. Yep. Um, there is a moment in The History Boys, which is one of my favourite plays, where they're having a conversation about World War II and they're talking about uh, Auschwitz and the character that Richard Griffith, the professor, plays um, has a line of like, I've always wondered, like, where do people eat their sandwiches? This is a day out. This is like a tourist attraction for people. Like, where is the appropriate point for you to like sit down and eat your lunch? Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered that about places like this because like ghoulish tourism is a really big thing now. Well, yeah, tourists aren't people. You know right. what I love? That doll is going to haunt me, by the way. <laughs> when I was in... Um in Vienna with my mom and we visited the underground lake, but it's, it's claims to fame. Like it's historical for many reasons and what, but at one of its claims to fame is that, so during World War II, it was used by the Germans as um, a bunk. They built planes there secretly because it's underground, but there's a lot of space. Right. But one of the things that happened there is that they, it was built by the construction was labor was done by prisoners of war who were then executed there. And so there's a spot, the wall that was used for executions is, roped off now and our tour guide said people would go up to the wall and try to get the bullets out for souvenirs people are disgusting and that's that's the story i think of every time i think of that that book quote tourists tourists aren't people (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. what the hell is wrong with you so now it's roped off because people couldn't like didn't have any like basic human decency about it 
But where's like the appropriate point to like take a selfie at Chernobyl? <laughs> like, hey, here's where people died horribly with their skin peeling off of them. Hashtag holiday. Like, what is the like? How, how do you even like approach that as a tourist? Can you do that? Is there like an what are the ethical ramifications that you ask that? Because I worry that about just stuff like people who go on holiday to places like Cambodia. You know. Uh-huh. How do you go and have like a rip roaring time in Cambodia and not think about like the killing fields? Mm. How do you go to, you know, like I mean, you, you know, Raiden, you can speak to this as, as yeah. the token American of the conversation. Like people go on holiday to plantations, people get married there. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I've I've toured a couple of plantations in in our travels, and I think. The first one we went to, and I don't remember which ones we specifically went to, because this was all a very long time ago. Um, But I know when we went to Monticello, which is Thomas Jefferson's home, they do, and this was 20 years ago at least, they do have like the, the slave cabins and talking about the enslaved people that worked there. Um, and I was in Mount Vernon, which is uh, George Washington's plantation in Virginia last year. And they had a whole exhibit of like, here, here are the number of people who lived here. There was George, there was Martha, there was a couple of other people of their family. And then there was a hundred plus slaves. And these are the names we know, and this is what they did. And here is going through like, George's thought process on being a slave owner and like, well, I would like to free them kind of maybe, well, not in a way that inconveniences me. Uh Although the, the laws in Virginia did make it complicated, but like still you could do it. So like going through like exactly what slavery meant and this is where the the enslaved population lived and this is what they did and this is what we know about their lives and we are constantly learning more so that has changed so it's not just here is this big beautiful house but also here is this beautiful house and this is how the white people lived and here is all of the shit underneath that you had to have in order to make this function, um, which is like a microcosm of American society in general. Is look under the surface; there's a whole bunch of crap under there. Well, yeah. Can I just say that I think that you're legitimately evil if you get married on a plantation? Yeah. 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 Totally. Like fuck you. Okay. <laughs> Where's a nice part for you to like hang out and put your wedding dress on? Is it where they get lynched? Is that like your lovely happy location? Maybe the part where women were systematically raped. Is that what brings like the romantic mood to you? There's definitely a strain in both tourism and nostalgia and history of like, can we just remember the good parts? You know, like if we just admit that the bad parts were bad, we could still say this is pretty. You know, and I do feel like... It's preserving our history and heritage. That's the light. I, I do think mm-hmm. we are now more... We've seen more people push back against that and go like, no, you can't just pretend that it was all okay. So, 
So yeah, sorry, sorry, I can't give you like more actual thoughts on Chernobyl, <laughs> but maybe when I actually do decide to like sit down and, and watch it, we'll uh, we'll do an episode on on d- dissecting that. And another thing, um, kind of maybe we'll wrap up with things we're looking forward to, although we touched on some of that. Is um, I am getting that season four of The Expanse on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> The last book of the series has come out, but um, I actually haven't finished the book before that yet. Uh, the two books are actually one plot, though. The previous ones were all all wrapped up, kind of the plot of the book within one, and the last two are connected. So it's it's okay. I think it was okay to you know wait to and read them both at once. Um, and I think they're already planning their next series. But the Expanse is so good, and anybody who hasn't seen it yet, it's whatever. It should be on Amazon now since it bought the rights to the show. Uh, it may still be on other streaming services, whatever that may be local to you. Do, do check it out. It's really great sci-fi. And I guess we're all looking forward to Ali Wong's T-show. That one's going to be lighter and fluffier than Chernobyl, we promise. <laughs> I mean, gonna... hopefully. <laughs> like, we, we, need, we need this, okay? We need we people do. to understand that, like, even though Keanu Reeves keeps getting pushed into, like, the other guy role, like, we need more of that. We need, like, uh, what else? I'm looking, I, I have Carrie Mora to read, which is a new book by Thomas Harris, which is mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter free. Mm-hmm. But I am interested to see how it goes, and I will probably review it for Pajiba. Because the last book that I really read in full was The Mister, and I just I can't have that Oof. on my <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> she describes his dick as being large, hooded, and flexible, guys. What? <laughs> actually, actually, it's, it's it's large. Full stop. Hooded. Full stop. Flexible. Full stop. <laughs> Which basically is a cool bra. That book, like, obviously, I didn't read it I, because that's what we have you for. But just watching you tweet it and things like his credit cards You're are like welcome. magic. <laughs> I, his credit cards are like magic. Really? I Guys. I hate this woman. I hate her so much. Guys, I or the bit where she because she's I know this is a hot take that I'm about to say, but. I think it's possible that E.L. James is not a very good writer. Where did you get that? The part where, like, her Albanian heroine speaks in broken English and thinks that a smartphone is called a clever phone? Uh, it is terrible. It is not the reprehensible train wreck that Fifty Shades was. It is mostly dull. But every now and then she tries to talk about social issues like human trafficking and sex slavery. And uh, Erica does not have the range. No. Her main knowledge of Albania and sex trafficking seems to have come from the Taken movies. Oh, God. But she's also still obsessed with money and fetishizing wealth and owning products, and that's all through the book. And then every now and then it's supposed to be like this hard-hitting tale of a woman who has been trafficked for sex, but is still a virgin, because she's also obsessed with virgins. Yeah, the she's... <sighs> I don't get it. Oh no. Ugh. Here's the thing, fool. Like, clearly that book is selling well because, like, masochism and morbid curiosity will always sell books. But do you see anyone talking about that book? No. Me neither. And that is what was really fascinating to me. Like, this thing is not sticking around. It will probably stay on, on bestseller shelves because, frankly, you don't have to sell all that many copies now to stay in the top 10. Mm. Like, that's kind of how publishing is going. But. This isn't even, like, sparking outrage. Like, people are too bored to care about this book, which is the appropriate response. Yeah. But do you think she'll still get a movie deal? I don't know. But, I mean, clearly, 
there's probably an audience for this at some level. I don't think it'll be anywhere near as big as Fifty Shades because keep in mind the grosses for the Fifty Shades movies got smaller with each new release. That's and yeah. That's what, that was going to be worth. my follow up questions. Is uh, did the Fifty? Because you you'll know because it's kind of your job. But did the Fifty Shades movies end up making money in the end? Like the last? Oh, they all made money, but the grosses got smaller with each new film as it stopped kind of being part of the zeitgeist. But you know. The people who loved Fifty Shades of Grey, bless their cotton socks. But I don't think they care all that much about the mister. Because it's not Twilight fanfiction. Mm. <laughs> it's possibly Poldark fanfiction, but I've not read or watched Poldark, but apparently it has a lot in common with that. Oh, okay. I mean, in order to be able to judge that, I would have to actually read this book, which I am not going to do. Because there's nobody paying me to do that now, so fuck it. I think I understand why people say that. Just from, so having watched the first, like, two seasons of Poldark and having read Kaylee's tweets about Mr., I'm guessing people draw that based on the fact that, um, you know, Demel's, uh, he hired Demelzer's uh, serving girl right before marrying her. So I'm, I just think that's the basic, because she works for, in, in the Mr., the, the, the girl... Whatever her name is. But then he takes her to Cornwall, which I think is when people started getting... Uh, okay. Okay. I don't watch or read Poldark. So other people will be more informed. Now, Jenny Trout is recapping the book right now. Okay. And it is, of course, very entertaining. But uh, this is the thing. is like There's not even a drive to mock the book all that much. I was one of the few people who seemed to be like live-tweeting the book. And mm. I was mostly doing that because I couldn't be bothered taking notes. It was just easier to take pictures. Yeah. <laughs> And because if I had to know how she described this man's dick, everyone did. No, that's fair. Large hooded flexible guy. I can't get over this. I really can't. Right. Oh. Hey, Erica, you're welcome for all this free publicity, the most you've gotten from all <laughs> 200 of Okay, our can listeners. we all talk about the fact that she like gave an interview where she was talking about how disappointed she was in the first Fifty Shades movie because, oh, it just wasn't close enough to the books and that wasn't what the readers wanted. And it's like, <sighs> you were allegedly an absolute dick on that set, okay? Everyone has heard those stories. Sam <laughs> Taylor Johnson and Kelly Marcel put up with too much from you. Yeah, and it's not what the readers wanted, so you got a new director, and progressively each movie made less money. So, and every I, review, I, of I know that I'm just a lawyer and math is not my strong suit, <laughs> but I see a pattern. Here, uh-huh. Erica. I'm just saying. But also, like the people who are sympathetic towards the first movie, all say the same thing, which is this would be so much better if they didn't have to deal with the crappy dialogue. Uh-huh. I mean, it's all the same complaints that the Twilight, right? Like the movies got good screenwriters and like good directors, and actually, and like who tried, and it's who like could have ascended, like taking the basic idea and really did better than the writer who was not a good writer who wrote it originally and they were like hamstrung by the fact that the writer had like a contract that allowed them to assert control and i i guess i also get that if you make you know if you sell x million whatever copies and this is super popular or not like you decide well no i wrote a good book i'm a good writer look how many people love it and paid money for it (laughs) but Sometimes bad writers make a lot of money. What can I say? Mm. 
Yeah, but I, I don't think this thing is going to make her as much money as Fifty Shades, and I think that's going to bug her. Because I, I, I have asked this question a lot since Fifty Shades came out, when it was finished. was like, what does she do now? Because we know she's going to keep rewriting this series from the guy's point of view. Of like, she's got one more book to do that. Is she going to gender flip it? Once again, ripping off Stephanie Meyer? Probably. Like, I'm almost... I, I 100% think she will. Like, I think it's a joke to us, but I think it's seriously what she will do. Like, I'd feel sorry for her being trapped in the situation where this is all she has if I found her in any way sympathetic. <laughs> Except, you know, she's trapped, quote-unquote, in a situation where she... Like, I'm assuming if she was smart with her money, she still has money. She doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, she's fine. Like, financially, she's fine. No one is worried about that. But I just... Like, this is what you... This is your obsession? Like, your Fifty Shades fanfic, which is also clearly supposed to be on some level vaguely self-inserty? But you can't really write anything else. Like, Stephanie Meyer wasn't a great writer, but she was a storyteller. And Mm -hmm. she could, like, convey a certain level of obsessive, feverish passion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That is a thing. Yale can't do that. Stephanie Mar, it's it's she she's she's a bad writer, but she's got interesting ideas. Yeah, I think Cleo described her as like there's a decent horror writer in this woman just screaming to get out and she can't get out of her own. Oh way. yeah, like Breaking Dawn is basically Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> like she could totally do it if she was willing to. Uh but obviously there are other things that mean she's not. But I at least get the sense that she is interested in doing other things. Like she has very openly said, I'm kind of done with Twilight. Here is my like Jason Bourne style thriller that nobody read. Here is even just like the host, which is awful, mm-hmm. but at least it was, she was writing other things. Yeah. And now she's off producing movies, which is really cool. Like that's a cool way to spend your money. You know, let's yeah. get some women directing films. Like that's really cool. I don't think E.L. James has that. Cause I think that she, you know, I mean, first of all, everyone will have heard how she treated Sam Taylor Johnson and Kelly Marcel, and they won't want to have anything to do with that. But that would also mean not centering herself in every conversation. Like, Stephanie Martin is smart enough to go, I have a big name, but here's what you should be focusing on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Erica is concerned with that. No. No, Erica is concerned with her... Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> Um, she's on the phone now (laughs) she heard you talking shit shit. (laughs) Uh, no Erica she's just single minded focus and like I want to do this you're not good at it and you've already done it but I want to do this okay but like what if you did something else but I don't want to but I don't think she even really knows why she wants to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Because I assume there will always still be an audience for that. Yeah. But also, they won't always stick around. And tastes will change. And eventually those returns will start to diminish. And publish even publishers will get bored because there's always the, the hot new thing around the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd feel sorry for her, except that she has a room full of money that she should be able to swim in, assuming she hasn't managed to spend it all. And if she has, well, I don't feel sorry for her about that either, because you made your fucking choices. You've put yourself into this loop that you don't seem to have any interest in getting out of. So... And it's boring. It's so boring! boring. I mean, really, I I understand, like, 
So she, I think, is living this fantasy of where she's like this great best-selling writer, and the publishers are going to keep giving her deals as long as the books make money. Like, what do they care about quality as long as they sell? Well, I am curious as to how much money they're actually making, because I got that book on day one, and it was already half price. I, w- I have been in Waterstones a number of times since that book came out, and it is always on half price. It has been on half price paperback as well. It's not even hardback. Oh. I mean, you can buy that book for about £4 in every shop I've seen it in. Oh, so possibly that's not a great sign. Possibly that's where it ends, right? So the the money did not come, so the publisher is longer there, and then I think she's just gonna slink. Like maybe she'll go back to maybe she'll try self publishing. I could see her doing that. But you're right. Like without the Twilight fanfic hook, she's got nothing. So I think she's gonna try to keep writing because she thinks that's what she is. But I just don't think it's gonna go anywhere, and it's whatever. She she made her millions of dollars doing something we all think is bad, but that's how the world works anyway. That's Just depressing. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully Kaylee doesn't have to keep reviewing whatever she writes. That's right. I feel like I've already been talked into that as my like shtick, unfortunately. Um but there was it she gave an interview where she said, Oh, fans have been have really been clamoring for me to write like a gay romance and I was like, No. Oh, oh no like that is a literal no. hate crime. You know what? Marsha P. Johnson did not throw the first brick at Stonewall to be disrespected (laughs) like this. (laughs) The audacity. God. Uh, But then, but Kaylee, think. She's now going to have to describe two penises. She's going to probably have to buy an extra thesaurus going to be very very difficult what thesaurus per penis <laughs> large hooded flexible <I'd... laughs> if she writes a book with two dudes who gets to be the virgin or does nobody get because like you know what she's gonna do if she writes a gay romance between two men you know one of those men is going to be the quote-unquote the girl yep. yes and he's going to say ooh girl a lot and yeah. he's probably going to be incredibly feminine and cry a lot and yes. he's probably going to experience some sort of trauma which means that he doesn't like having sex like this is going to be the veritable bingo card of homophobic shit because she doesn't have the range also she doesn't know people she just knows stereotypes yeah yeah and she doesn't have anyone to tell her no like the thing about at least the mister seemed to have have the guiding hand of like an editor on some level you never got that with Fifty Shades Fifty Shades maybe got a spell check before it was pumped out by the publisher Vintage that bought it mm-hmm. they double checked the find replace on Edward <laughs> that's probably about it we're just thinking of horrifying like future books by EL aren't we now mm. yes yes and they're all boring yeah Unfortunately for you, the person who's going to have to read them for her job, they're all boring. <laughs> right. I, I mean, mean, that was the thing is, like, the mister was mostly dull, but it, it only took me, like, six hours to read it in one go, maybe. Mm. And a lot of that was because I kept stopping a tweet. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I read Grey. And I mean, like, I went through a bottle of wine and half a six pack of beer. And I thought, I, and then I had to go to a book release party that I was already 
So I like pre-gamed that party really hard. And then Caroline London gave me champagne. Oh, <laughs> well, just casual name drop there. I see what you did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're friends. She she just dropped a booze on my back porch. And it took me a while because I would have to stop and rage tweet and then drink and then you know the natural consequences of drinking that that takes time and then i have to like refocus because i was pretty fucking drunk <laughs> see what i do instead of reading bad books is i've been watching a ton of netflix movies i've been live tweeting some of them so and i didn't tell you guys but i watched the newest one which is the one with archie in it the last summer which in which mm. he kj appa plays literally just Archie again, but without the red hair dye. Oh, okay. Uh, they're all... I, I watched the... Um, what, the Peter Kavinsky? The Noah Centineo one, uh, The Perfect Date. I live-tweeted that one. That one was... Oof. That one was oof. Mm. Alright. So, I'm gonna change the topic. Hmm. Um, I have... Let me see... I have to catch a bus in 30 minutes and I need to put on pants. So, but I want to talk about Princess Marie Louise of Norway, who announced on Instagram the other day that she is in a relationship with Goop's Shaman Derek. <clears throat> Go and on. I don't know anything about him except that he calls himself Shaman Derek. <clears throat> you know. And- According to the Fud Girls, one of their friends posted on Facebook that he was a total fucking scammer, which I believe, oh. because he calls himself Shaman Derek. And he's with and Goop. He's involved with Goop. And on her Instagram, there is a link to theprincessandtheshaman.com. So this oh, is God. definitely going to end well. Lay in your popcorn. Oh, God. This is such a weird intersection of like people who you know follow world royalty as their celebrities of choice but then also goop related yeah no it's weird celebrity celebrity worlds are colliding yeah and so she's the oldest sibling as well like if they had changed the law in time she would be the future queen of norway yeah which is one way to abolish the monarchy (laughs) (laughs) i think the norwegians generally like their monarchy well they do because she's not in charge of it right <laughs> right there's that handsome young man with his pretty with his very pretty wife who apparently health wise is doing much better <sighs> like you always forget there's like other monarchies out there other than the one we have and also Japan where an abdication and a new crowning just happened I'm sure it was all very pretty Sure, it was all very pretty, and there aren't very many pictures, which, come on, guys. Yeah. I know, you, you can't be reclusive in an age where your only job is to look pretty on Instagram so the tourists come. <sighs> Sorry, I am looking at Shaman Derek's page. <laughs> uh-huh. He refers to himself as an evolutionary innovator, spirit hacker, women's empowerment leader. Uh-huh. This is a cult, right? Well, no, it's cult. It's definitely a cult. I was, up until now, I've been hearing it as Derek, like the English name it's in my Derek, head. It's Derek. D-U-R-E-K. 
Oh, there's a picture of him with Goop. Uh-huh. Remember when we just enjoyed her because she was Pepper Potts and we yeah. didn't have to worry about her being a literal snake oil salesman? Yes. You, you gotta... You gotta love any man who calls himself a women's empowerment leader. I'm just saying, that's how you know this fucker is a cult leader, okay? Yeah. None of us learn anything from Nexium. Yeah, so this is definitely gonna end well, right? This is gonna end with her, like, getting his name branded on her ass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't make me click on the Daily Mail link. (laughs) Sorry, they were on TV together. Hard same, though. Is Hard Instagram same. official the new version of Facebook official? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. His real name is Derek Verrett? Yes. <laughs> like, so everything funny. about this is a shit show. <laughs> Such an interesting life some people lead. What the hell do they, like, what the hell do her parents say when, like, she comes back home to visit? Apparently... According to the comments in Go Fug Yourself, she hadn't told her parents until before she posted this. Oh boy. They didn't know about him at all. Oh boy. So they appeared on Good Morning Norway, which I'm glad that that is the name of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this sounds like such a beautiful beautiful shit show he denied claims that he could cure cancer and that he could defy aging he said he never claimed he had that and said that science and medicine are still very important to him oh okay we are what we are doing is helping to facilitate and awareness of self that makes no i need to throw up so this makes sense but it's also hilarious to me he now has a wikipedia page in the region but in no other language <laughs> I mean, that's how you know that these people are like appealing to a very specific demographic. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going on a five-city tour of Denmark and Norway, where they will be taking paying crowds on a journey into the mysteries of life that will focus on shamanic exercises and meditation. Cult scam. Cult. He's scam. not white, but how is this the whitest thing I've ever heard? Of? I, I, I was amazed when I finally googled it because, like, I'm sorry, anybody who calls himself shaman to me is automatically a white dude. It is like a glorious, glorious mess. Yeah, yeah. See, I gave you royalty that's not yours to. It's <laughs> just a disaster. You're welcome. After spending years training, there are no scare quotes around training, and I really feel like there should be. There definitely should be. Um, he is regularly featured on Hollywood shows, and on his website, he sells meditation tracks for $10 each. Nope. Uh-huh. Sounds like a real peach. Oh, yeah, definitely. So could you imagine if this happened in, like, the British Royals? Like, like if one of, like, Peter, if, like Princess Beatrice rocked up with, like, a man who claimed that he could, like, cure cancer with, like, prayer or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but wore robes, like, really colorful robes. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, the dude she's with right now looks like a real douchebag. Like, he just has a very punchable face. Well, when you start earning a certain amount of money, that does just happen to you. Yeah, face. I know. It just grows. All right. So on that 
that love. We can't end like we have to end it on the shaman and the princess. We can't beat that. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> so, uh, you know, follow this story because it's going to continue to be glorious. I'm pretty sure. Mm. And we will see you at some point in the future to talk about some other topic. But this yeah. has been episode 71. I need to go put on pants. You two listeners, you go put on pants too. Let's all adult. Or don't. Don't, don't make a structure your life. It's up <laughs> to you. You can do, do what you want. Do what you want. But if you're going to go out in public, you should probably have something on your bottom half. Whether it is pants or some other garment is up to you. Kilts are a thing. Live your best life. <laughs> Even if Kaylee's dad doesn't own his own kilt. Look, if you come and visit, he'll buy a kilt. He's promised <laughs> this, okay? Come and visit it. raped one. <laughs> <laughs> I will at some point, but first I'm going to go sail the Danube. That's not a metaphor or a euphemism. It's not a metaphor. I'm literally going on a river cruise because the PBS commercials got me. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Let me be taken on by PBS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly, I'm paying for it myself. Wish PBS would pay for it. Anyway, uh, this has been 71, and we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Anglofees, a made a fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to Anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you. How much time do I have? You didn't say an out. I'm used to cutting off. Out, out. I'm sorry. Out. (sighs)